Welcome to In His Grip with Dr. Chuck Betters of Glasgow Church in Bear, Delaware. In His Grip is a daily broadcast presented by Mark Inc. Ministries. Today we continue the second sermon from the mini-series, God Will Make a Way. In the aftermath of the death of his 16-year-old son, Mark, Chuck Betters' faith was on the line. For over 25 years, he preached and taught that God is the builder of broken bridges and brings beauty from ashes. But now, in this horrific grief, he questioned if God could do that for him and his family. Dr. Betters does not shy away from asking the hard questions and transparently shares his own faith struggle in this three-part series, God Will Make a Way. Let's join Dr. Betters for the continuation of our series. By the way, you'll find the touchstones that we're going to be dealing with in those generations. Look at verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of who? David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Notice the connection to the son of David. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Look with me at verse 23, Matthew 12. Verse 23. All the people were astonished. And what did they say? Could this be the son of David? What are these people talking about? The Jews in the day of Jesus fully expected and anticipated that when Messiah comes, he would come out of the lineage of David. He would come to reestablish his kingdom on earth. The Davidic dynasty would come to earth. That is, Messiah would come out of the line of David. That's what the Jews were talking about. Is this him? Is this the Messiah? Look at chapter 15 of Matthew. A Canaanite woman, verse 22. Matthew 15, verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering, te suffering terribly from demon possession. You see, in that day, they also believed that when Messiah came, he would come from the line of David and he would have power to exercise demons. Who is this one that would come out of the loins of David? Who is this seed that will succeed him and establish his kingdom on earth? Matthew 1.1 What I have called the most boring chapter in the Bible. You know why it's so boring? Because we're too lazy to read it and understand what it's saying. Matthew 1.1 A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who? David, the son of Abraham. Now notice what he does. He takes you not only back to David, he takes you back to Abraham. Remember the birth of Isaac was our first touchstone. So you're seeing how Jesus Christ is now a part of the mosaic that goes all the way back to Abram. Look at verse 6. Giving the genealogy, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You know that story of David and Bathsheba showing you that Jesus is fully identifying himself not with royal priests and kings, 
not with righteous people, but with sinners and adulterers. You'll also find, by the way, in the genealogy of Christ, Rahab the harlot. You'll find her listed in the genealogy, showing Jesus' full identification with sinners, but specifically with King David. Verse 17. There were 14, this is the summary of it now, 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile in Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Christ. By the way, you'll find the touchstones that we're going to be dealing with in those generations. Look at verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of who? David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Notice the connection to the son of David. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Look with me at verse 23, Matthew 12. Verse 23. All the people were astonished. And what did they say? Could this be the son of David? What are these people talking about? The Jews in the day of Jesus fully expected and anticipated that when Messiah comes, he would come out of the lineage of David. He would come to reestablish his kingdom on earth. The Davidic dynasty would come to earth. That is, Messiah would come out of the line of David. That's what the Jews were talking about. Is this him? Is this the Messiah? Look at chapter 15 of Matthew. A Canaanite woman, verse 22. Matthew 15, verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering, ter suffering terribly from demon possession. You see, in that day, they also believed that when Messiah came, he would come from the line of David and he would have power to exercise demons. This woman knew that. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse 30. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 30. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, there it is again, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. You see, they also knew when Messiah came, he would have power to cast out demons and he would have power to restore sight to the blind. But he would come out of the line of David and would establish his kingship on earth. Next chapter, chapter 21, look at verse 9. Remember that great Palm Sunday? The crowds that went ahead of him, verse 9, and followed, uh, shouted, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Messiah would be from the lineage of David. He would be the fulfillment of the Davidic dynasty. He would succeed where Solomon failed. Look at verse 15. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Sounds like Saul. 
Remember the story when David was, the people were shouting for David to become king? Saul was the king. What did Saul do when he heard all of the shouting about David being the one who would, who would, who would, uh, uh, receive all the praise and the glory? What did, what did Saul do? He became jealous. He became indignant. So you see, the story is being repeated again, but now Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that David was pointing to. Next chapter, chapter 22, look at verse 41. Comes to a climax. Matthew 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. Now that was very clear. When Messiah comes, who's he going to be? Whose son is he going to be? The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be a son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day no one asked him any more questions. You see, what, what Jesus is doing is taking them back to the promise that God had given to David. And what he's trying to show is that David himself was not going to come to be king. That the kingdom was not going to be a political kingdom. That the kingdom was going to be a spiritual kingdom where the Lord of David, who is none other than Jehovah God himself, that God would become the one who would establish his own theocracy and his own kingdom on earth. That it would not be a political kingdom, but would be a spiritual kingdom. And you see, Jesus is bringing them into confrontation with this issue. And they were confused and walked away. We know what the angel said to the shepherds. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, the town of David. John 7.42, does not the Scripture say that Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? You see, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. You cannot understand, by the way, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the lineage of Jesus unless you understand the mosaic peace that God handed out to us when he established the Davidic kingdom. And that Davidic kingdom was formed in an impossible situation when a young shepherd boy was eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose with a giant. Had he not slain Goliath, there would have been no Davidic kingdom. There would have been no dynasty. That's why when he started whirling around that old slingshot and he, and he flung that rock, the Holy Spirit directed that rock right into the brain of Goliath. Why? Because God has a program. God has a plan. And he's putting the pieces of that plan together. Well, now David establishes his kingdom. You've got the kingship of David, our warrior king. You see him. You, want, you see the wonderful stories. He dies an old man. Hands on his kingdom to Solomon. Solomon in all of his glory, all of the wonderful majesty of Solomon's kingdom ended in despair ended in despondency and brings us to the next touchstone. You're listening to In His Grip with Dr. Chuck Betters of Glasgow Church. We will return to our message in just a few moments. But first, 
Here is a special offer from Mark Inc. Ministries. Are you wrestling with God? Does your pathway seem impossible? Sharon Betters shares her own story of wrestling with God in order to reconcile His love and His sovereignty. Learn more about Treasures in Darkness, A Grieving Mother Shares Her Heart by visiting markinc.org. Order now and we will include Loss of a Loved One, a transparent interview with Chuck and Sharon Betters in which they share their own grief journey. Order Treasures in Darkness, the book by Sharon Betters today at markinc.org. And now, let's rejoin Dr. Betters as he continues our message today. I simply call this the nation in exile, the nation divided, and the resultant prophetic witness. Now see what happens here? In 931 B.C., 931 years before Christ, that kingdom that David established, that kingdom that was so glorious under Solomon, was divided. It is the lowest point in Israel's history. They didn't get any lower than they were at that point. After the glory years of Solomon, ending in Solomon loving many strange women and the kingdom being divided as the result, we have this gloomy despair and the judgment of God upon the people of God and the prophets come into the picture. Now God is bringing us another touchstone, another piece of the puzzle as he raises up the prophets during this lowest point in Israel's history. Their message was very clear. They took the people of God back to the first five books of the Bible or the Torah, the law books. They took them back to the rule of David and to the Davidic dynasty. And the ministry of the prophets begins to emerge. You see the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and the Amoses and all of these other prophets standing up and preaching to the people of God. Why are you in such sin? Why are you in such apostasy? Has not God taken the kingdom from you? Is not God going to work a mighty work? But you must first repent. And the message or the tension between obedience And disobedience is tied in with the patience of God and the judgment of God. You see the preachers standing up, the prophets, and saying, as you're disobedient, God will bring judgment. As you are obedient, God will be patient. And that message, that tension, is constantly seen in the prophets. What do they talk about? They talk about the day of the Lord. And you see, as Israel's history developed, the day of the Lord became something that was glorious, something that was exciting, something that was going to bring benefits, yet they missed the central message of the prophets, that on the other side of that coin, on the other side of that wonderful day of the Lord was judgment. And Jesus was the coming Messiah who would bring that judgment. That's why when you read the Gospels, it speaks of Jesus coming as a two-edged sword. He speaks of dividing uh, between brother and sister, between mother and daughter. He speaks of a decisiveness in His coming that you can't be neutral with the coming of Christ. So the day of the Lord and the promise of the day of the Lord is a two-sided coin. 
And the prophets stand up and preach this in impossible situations. What do we have here in this divided kingdom? We have 12 tribes. And from each of these 12 tribes, God would choose a remnant. He would take out of those 12 tribes a remnant and restore that remnant to the land. He would restore to that remnant the Davidic dynasty. He would restore the covenant promise that he made to Abraham. He would restore the theocracy. And yes, he would even expand and include within that covenant promise the nations of the world or the Gentiles. By the way, all of these stories, uh, these, the, the way in which the kingdom was divided is, is, is uh, recorded for us in the books of Kings and Chronicles. You can read in Kings and Chronicles the different ways in which God raised up these prophets. Even to the inclusion of the Gentiles, the story of the queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon is a, is a prototype of the inclusion of the Gentiles later on. The healing of Naaman, the Aramean, is a prototype of the inclusion of the Gentiles. And you can read about those stories in Kings and Chronicles. When you go to the book of Kings, for example, look at 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. By the way, Kings is a commentary on the theological importance of the Davidic promise. Draped in moral failure, out of Kings there is a call to repentance. And that is best illustrated in 1 Kings chapter 8 when Solomon prayed this prayer. Solomon stands up and says, this is the essence of who we are as the people of God. This is it, 1 Kings chapter 8. Look at verse 46. Solomon's praying. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to his own land, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent, and plead with you in the land of their conquerors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the, uh, uh, toward the land you gave their fathers, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and, and their plea, uphold their cause, Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause their conquerors to show them mercy for they are your people and your inheritance. Now that's the tension in this period. Summarized by the prayer of Solomon. We have people who have fallen away and as the result of their sin, they have been taken captive. They are now in exile. You have them divided you have two kingdoms. You have a kingdom in the north. Ten of the tribes are in the north. And the history of Kings and Chronicles shows us they had nine dynasties and all of them were evil. They had no affiliation with the temple in Jerusalem. They were acculturated into the Sumerian culture. They bought into the Sumerian humanism. Financially, they became interdependent on Samaria. Politically, socially, culturally. 
And as the result of that, the ten tribes in the north, the kingdom split, the kingdom divided, hadn't even the faintest recognition whatsoever, not the faintest resemblance whatsoever to what the people of God should be. They were enmeshed into the world in which they lived, and virtually the covenant was suspended in those ten tribes. Where are they? They're nowhere to be found. Then you go to the south, where two of the tribes were. They had one dynasty rooted in the Davidic house. There were good and bad kings. Solomon's temple, conservative if you will. Elijah and Elisha became the main prophets in the south, salvaging a remnant. And then in the year 722 B.C., the north, the ten tribes in the north, fell to Shalmanazar V and to Sargon II. They were utterly destroyed, devastated the land, and exiled the people. Now all of a sudden, the prayer that Solomon prayed years before was coming to fruition. The people of God were in virtual bondage. Virtual bondage. They were accursed. They were forced to live among the nations. But it was interesting that Sargon left a small remnant behind who were invited by the holy kings from the south, Hezekiah and Josiah, to join them. A small remnant was left. God always has that remnant. Always has that remnant. I want to show you that, and then we're going to close. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 25. This picture of devastation. We're going to close with this. You've got a divided kingdom. Ten tribes in the north, sacked by Sargon V. Two tribes in the south, struggling to remain and to keep their identity under two holy kings, Hezekiah and Josiah. The remnant is virtually lost. Nobody can even recognize who the people of God are. They're in virtual oblivion. Lost seemingly forever. You stop and think as you read Bible history, you look at it and you say, well, I thought God made a promise. I thought He was going to establish the kingdom. I thought He was going to do this, that it was all going to culminate. How could the people of God be lost? How could they be vanquished? How could they be obliterated? The lowest point in Israel's history. And there's a very obscure verse of Scripture. We read over it very fast because we don't understand it. In the midst of that devastation, in the midst of that oblivion, in the midst of that invasion of those two heathen kings, 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 27. Now you look at that and you say, what does that have to do with anything? Who in the world is this Jehoiakim? He would become the very heartbeat of God recapturing and salvaging the remnant that would lead us up to Judaism at the birth of Christ. If this evil king does not release Jehoiakim from prison, he dies in prison and the remnant is absolutely obliterated. That seemingly insignificant act that happens on the 27th day of the 12th month, this man somehow found favor with this evil king he released him out of prison, set him down beside him, and there in that one Jehoiakim, 
the dynasty of David was preserved. Without that release from prison, the whole of, of Israel's history comes to a dramatic close. Isn't our God a marvelous God? Isn't the Bible a marvelous, marvelous illustration, page by page by page, of the faithfulness of God in painting for us that mosaic, that wonderful mosaic that our God is a sovereign God and He will make a way. I hope you believe that this morning. I hope in your own life, as you go through whatever tragedy you're going through, I hope you can begin to see how replete the Bible is with illustration after illustration of the faithfulness of God to do what God said He's going to do, even in the insignificant life of some character you probably never heard of before. In that one person, God would preserve His remnant. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to join us next time for the continuation of the series, God Will Make a Way. If you would like to order this sermon in its entirety, call us toll-free at 877-MARK-INC. That's 877-627-5462. When calling, ask for reference code 93-79. You can also find this broadcast and the series on our website at markinc.org. Click on the sermon link and look for the series, God Will Make a Way. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to support Mark Inc. Ministries, visit us online at markinc.org and click on the support link. There are many ways you can help our ministry. You can make a one-time contribution, a reoccurring monthly contribution, or you can support the production of specific Mark Inc. Ministries resources. That website again is markinc.org. Until next time, have a blessed day and remember that God is sovereign and you can trust Him as long as you are in His grip.